Welcome to Revolution Church. You can be seated this time. My name is Randy, and I welcome you here today. How are y'all doing today? You awake? Yeah. All right. Very, very good. Good, good, good. Um, when you came in today, you should have received a worship guide that looks something like this. If you didn't receive a worship guide today, um, I would love to make sure you have one of these. Put your hands in the air. Let us know you need one. I got some guys here that would love to get you one. Uh, right here, we'll get you taken care of. Uh, we're excited that you're here. We're starting a brand new series today called Steroids for Spiritual Growth. And I'm looking forward to teaching this today, um, as this is a message that's really spoke to my heart, as, as basically, if you're kind of in a spot where you feel like uh, God is inattentive, he's uncooperative, or he's late, uh, this is going to be a message that I believe that God would like for you to hear and, and just let it minister to your heart today. It really did with mine. Um, if you're angry at God, this is a good good day to be at church um, because I believe that God has a word for you. As you open up your worship guide today, uh, you'll notice several pieces of information. The one I want to highlight right now is this big, long, white one called the communication card. And uh, what we like to do at this church is we ask every attendee to fill this out. This helps us do a couple things. A, it helps us keep uh, a record uh, of you being here. Um, if you didn't get a key tag and check in, that's, that's another way that we do that. Um, so go ahead and get your key tag today if you didn't do that. But this is a secondary way that we, we keep track of that. It's also a great way uh, for us to communicate back and forth as the church grows and as, as we have more and more people coming each week and we're in two services. Um, it's really good if you have comments, uh, concerns, questions, prayer requests, anything like that, or if you just want to sign up for different things, uh, or you're interested about more information about something, you can do that all on this card. And uh, what I like to say here at this church is we give you the hassle-free guarantee. Meaning if you fill out this card and you drop it in the black buckets at the end of the service when they come by, we promise to, to not hassle you or badger you in any way. We're not going to sell your email address. We're not going to show up on your doorstep uninvited. Uh, we're not going to do anything crazy. We just simply want to get some information from you so I can send you a gift in the mail this week. And that's the only way I can do that is to get your information legibly where we can read it. So this is a safe card for you to fill out. Make sure you drop it in the black buckets and the uh, tithes and offering buckets when they come by at the end of the service. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. You'll see several other pieces information. There's a notes card in there. Take some notes. There's the colorful card, the need to know. These are the top 10 things that you need to know about Revolution Church, what's going on in our church, dates, times, addresses, all in one place and location. And, uh, and so check that out. Come to the different activities that we have. Get to know some other Christian people who share the same values and principles that you do. And I think it'll do a great thing for your life. Right now at this time, uh, I want to pray for our community and uh, that God will just continue to use us. If, as you can tell here, we've been collecting backpacks full of school supplies. Uh, if you still have your backpack out, we'd love for you to bring that in, uh, preferably by this next week, this next Sunday. Have that so we can deliver this off to the, the people that we know that are in need. And uh, we're going to really help some, some single parents out, some people that we know that could just use that extra help. Uh, I want to thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for being uh, on your game with realizing that this is not about us. This is what we've been called as Christians to do, is to invest in the life of other people. And uh, I'm just thrilled to do life with you, to do ministry with you. It's an honor to be your pastor today. So thank you so much for being a part of this. Let's pray at this time that God will use us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, use us to touch people where they're hurting, God. Today, I know that there are a lot of people um, that would seem to be overwhelmed or uh, stressed out about the things that have been going on. Lord, they, they may even be angry with you, um, upset at, at some of the circumstances that are going on in their life. They may feel you're inattentive or late or even uncooperative. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts today, minister to us. Um, let us uh, just see truly what your heart is for us. Uh, let us let us hear from you in a way that maybe we haven't heard before. God, speak to our lives and change us from the inside out. God, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word today, to speak truth uh, to my friends and my family here at this church. I pray that you would just uh, use, use what we do today to be a catalyst, God, to be a catalyst to reach other people who are lost, uh, that they may get to know you and start that relationship with you, God, and then follow you with their lives. God, I'm just... Uh, in all of what you've done, as I, as I look back uh, over the last uh, just year about, God, how you've uh, positioned people around us, and you've, you've built a church here in this community, and just so grateful to be a part of your story, history. It's, it's your story, and uh, just so thankful for that. God, I pray for the people we haven't met yet, the people in this community um, that will, will be visiting us in the next several weeks, God, and, and leading up to our big day coming up in September, Lord. I pray for those people right here, right now, in mid-July, Lord, that you would just begin to plant those seeds, 
God, do a work in their lives. Let them turn to you, God. And as you give us opportunity to minister to new people as they walk through these doors, I pray that each and every person in this room will open uh, their arms up and, and just proclaim the new people as family, God, as family under you. Let us learn together. Let us grow together. Let iron sharpen iron. And God, more than anything, transform our lives. Let us fall more in love with Jesus today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, one more thing before, uh, before we get going here. Uh, I just want to say thank you for, for being a part of this church. I don't tell you enough of that. Um, your service and what you do in this church is absolutely unreal. Uh, I want to celebrate something, so I want you to revolution-style celebrate, okay? Not the petty golf clap, all right? Uh, here's the deal. Last Sunday, we had three people make a decision to follow Jesus with their life. I want to celebrate that. This is why we do what we do. Three people. Today, as you notice, we have a swimming pool. At the end of the second service, we're going to be baptizing. And uh, this is always a great time um, of, of celebration. That's a person that, let me make, be clear, that's a person that after they've prayed that prayer in the seat, maybe, or throughout the week or wherever they are, that's now them saying, I'm going public with that decision. I'm not ashamed of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I want people to know I've decided to follow Jesus with my life. And today I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ, okay? So we're going to celebrate that at the end of the second service. And I uh, just want to say thank you for, for giving. Because you give, those kind of things can happen. Life change. We're going to roll our video announcements at this time, and we'll continue on our service. Welcome to Revolution Church, everybody. We're so happy to see all of y'all smiling faces. Thank you for coming and being a part of Revolution Church today, and I hope to see y'all next week. We love you. Help us love our community loud this time by grabbing a backpack at the back of the sanctuary here. Fill it with school supplies. The list is in the backpack of school supplies we need to collect. Bring it back with you next week, and we'll deliver them off to some people in need. All right, everybody, we need you to reserve your calendars for Friday night, August 7th, around the 7 o'clock time frame or so. We are going to be loving loud in our community, and we are going to be showing movie night in the park. Yeah, Despicable Me is going to be on big screen. We're going to have some popcorn and some candy and some sodas and stuff like that, and just a really great time of fellowshipping with other people. So, man, make sure, mark that date on your calendar. We're looking forward to having a great time with you. Banana! <laughs> Two all beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Ha <laughs> ha! If you love McDonald's, don't worry, we're not going there. But we do have Sunday lunch with the Moors coming up, and we are going to be eating at none other than... Mooya! Mooya! Yeah, you won't be able to get the special sauce, lettuce, cheese, but you can get something like that when you're there, and we'll have a great time together, so make sure you come. Emerge Student Ministries, we have another activity coming up for you on a Sunday night at 5.08 p.m. The date is listed below, and we want you to be there. Do not miss out on an opportunity to connect with some other teenagers. It'll be so awesome, and you will love life. <laughs> if you're new to Revolution Church, why don't you go and grab a t-shirt at our Resource Central table? We'd love to be a blessing to you. Thank you so much for joining us. stand with us. We're going to sing this next song together. I just love that video of my husband throwing up. I mean, it's just priceless. You guys are weird. It's awesome. <laughs> this song we're about to sing, we actually did it last week and we um, introduced this song to you and we just want you guys to sing this with us. It's, it's talking about Jesus coming and taking all of his believers back up to heaven with him. It's coming soon. Jesus is coming to get his believers soon. And that just means that we need to work harder to reach those who need Jesus still. 
The day is coming and we need to go find our friends, find our family, find those who need Jesus and bring them to Jesus. We have the best gift in the world and it's Jesus Christ and we need to share that with them. So let's share the love of Jesus with our friends and family. Will you just join me right now? Let's sing this song out to him.
Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my me that wasn't me there's a lot of crazy people out there and there's a lot of clips uh that i can find of stupid things happening i mean like who does that it has a ball thrown at them while they're on a treadmill uh i'm glad that you joined us for this series uh steroids for spiritual growth the whole idea is to boost our faith uh to kind of get a shot in the arm of something that maybe we needed to experience that way we can go farther faster. And I know that, that for many people, we don't like to be stuck. Does anybody like to be stuck? Say no. no. All right. You're just really weird if you do. Um, I, I won't call you out, but, but the reality of the situation is one of the things we all have in common, if you're a Christian, 
If you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you believe that there is a God, but, but you probably can identify, we all have this in common, uh, that we probably ask God at some point in our life to do something, and God just didn't do it. He just didn't do it. Maybe he wouldn't do it for whatever reason. And, uh, and you're going, man, I just don't understand this. It feels like uh, maybe some of the words that we could use to describe God are that God, at some point in our life, was unattentive, uncooperative, or late. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need everybody in this room to participate. Even if this is your very first Sunday here at Revolution Church, I need you to participate with me today. Um, I would love to have everybody raise their hand on this. If this is you, if it's not you, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you would identify today and say, you know what, at some point in my life, I could look back, or even right now I'm experiencing um, where I feel that God has been unattentive, uncooperative, or late. Would you put your hands to the air right now? <laughs> got some hands going up quick. Now, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. We got to participate. Keep them up. I want you all to look around real quick. Look around. Look around. Look around. Look around. Now, we could say a prayer and end it right now. All right, we could. We could just close the whole thing and go home. Now, let me tell you why. Because we all just learned something, didn't we? You're not the only one. You thought that it was just you, didn't you? You, you thought, you know, uh, it was just you. And the reason this is so difficult for us when we feel that God is inattentive, uncooperative, or late, we feel like that we're all by ourselves. Like we're the only ones experiencing this. And there's a couple things that make this worse than normal. Let me talk about this for a second. One of the things that makes it worse than normal, makes it feel like we're the only one, is people like me, preachers. Okay, we, we get up here and we say all this spiritual stuff and, it, and you know, it make it sound like it's just so easy and that we're never going to have a hiccup or a problem. And, and that can be annoying. Okay, that can be annoying at times because you're like, dude, everybody makes it sound so simple. And then I see other people going and they're you know, shaking the pastor's hand or they're high five and it looks like life's going all well for them. And they're always amen into everything and nodding their head and shaking, you know, and they're going, mm. whenever a good point, it, mm, you know cow in the room or something i don't know mm. they, they do all that stuff and it makes you feel like that you know uh, am i messed up is something wrong with me and, and that can just be really really annoying and then they'll say something like this you know you'll say you know i feel like god is just not and, and somebody will come up to you and they'll say well you just need to have more faith <laughs> you just need to have more faith in other reasons in other words the reason why god maybe is inattentive uncooperative or late for you um is you've messed up somehow Right? And it kind of puts the blame back on you. But for everybody else, it just seems like their prayers get answered. But why not your prayer? Why not mine? Um, a, another thing that happens is people around us, they do crazy things, don't they? People around us, it seems like you watch their life and crazy stuff happens. For instance, you've been praying this massive prayer. Like you've got this big need in your life to, for God to do something. And it could be uh, to, to maybe heal your marriage or, or, or to strengthen you um, just your heart to deal with situations and to deal with conflict maybe in a better way and not to get so angry or maybe you're praying for one of your kids to come back maybe somebody that you love is is uh, about to pass away and it, it, it's just you've got these deep deep pressure needs in your life and somebody around you will say something like this and god's not answered your prayer you're waiting you are waiting for god and somebody around you will say you know you're not going to believe this <clears throat> The other day I was in this massive hurry to get to the mall and I had to pick up some items really quick and, and I was running late. And so I just prayed to God and I asked God, God, will you please give me a close parking spot because I got to get in there and I got to go and you're not going to believe this. I was driving up and right there in the front row, somebody pulled out and I pulled into and you're like, shut up. <laughs> Seriously, like here I am praying for serious stuff, serious stuff. And, and, and you're, you know, I've got this medical issue that I've got coming up. I'm worried about retirement and what's going to happen. I've got these real issues. And here you are talking about a parking space. Like, like that's just enough for you to go, I don't ever want to be around those people. Right? They're just, they're just, something's wrong, you know. And it's like, am I the only one? At times, we can feel like we're the only one who isn't experiencing God. And I just want to break the walls down a little bit and tell you, I have those same feelings that you do. As a pastor, sometimes I feel like God can be inattentive, uncooperative, and late. No one's exempt. We all raised our hands. We said, yes, absolutely. And you know what? If we're not careful, um, we'll want to give up on God. We'll want to abandon the whole thing. 
And for some of us, we've been raised maybe around church. And we don't want to have that tendency to believe that everything that we heard growing up was a lie. We don't want to give up faith because it's hard to live without faith. It's hard to live without hope. It's very difficult to live life. So the question is, what do you do when it seems like God's inattentive, uncooperative, and late? Because after a while, our faith gets eroded. And we begin to devolve into this idea that if God is silent, check this out, then God must be absent. See, because the longer we stay in this mindset that God is silent, after a while we just go, you know, he's uncooperative, he's late, he's never here, he's never dancing my prayer, I keep doing this, I'm trying, all these other people. God just must be absent, it must be fake. There's nothing real about this. And the devil wants to prey on us in this area of our life. If God isn't engaging in my circumstances, if God isn't doing what I need him to do, then maybe there isn't a God after all. God's going to be silent. Maybe God is absent. Maybe God is absent. And there goes our faith. There goes our confidence. There goes our hope. Now, I had you all surveyed at the beginning. Every person in this room would feel this at some point in our life. You may be going to say, I really hope that this message will speak to your heart. I want you to kind of lean in. Lean in today. Let God work. I'm going to tell you a story from the New Testament uh, about a man who loved God. Like God knew his name. He knew his character. He sent him to do a job, and this guy performed the job, and he did it extremely well. He did everything the best way that he possibly knew how to do it. Like he was on his game. He was bringing it. And here's what I hope that you take away from our time together. That, that, that we can go through the wilderness We can go through dry times. We can go through tough times where we feel distant from God. We can go through times and seasons and stages and chapters of our life where God seems to just be absent. But that doesn't mean that God is inattentive. That doesn't mean necessarily that he's being uncooperative. And that doesn't mean that God is ever late. I hope that that we get that from this lesson. The first story actually begins before the the story I want to tell you. All right, so I got to tell you this story first, and it kind of leads into the main story today, and uh, and, and I'll get into all this. But I got to tell you about uh, Herod the Great, okay? Herod the Great. Herod the Great uh, was King Herod, and he was King Herod the Great not because he was a great guy, because he wasn't a great guy. As a matter of fact, he was a horrible guy. He was known as being great. You get that term because he was a great builder, okay? He was a great builder. He was the king of Israel, but he wasn't Jewish, okay? King Herod was the king over Israel because the Romans needed somebody to run Israel. And they said, Herod the Great, you've done a lot of great things. Why don't you run Israel? And, and the Romans said, you're the guy, you're it. Now, he's an awful guy. Let me tell you how awful Herod the Great was, okay? He murdered two of his wives. Murdered two of his wives, okay? He had a bunch of wives. He murdered two of them. He murdered three of his own sons, he murdered three of his own sons. Um, uh, he, he had six mother-in-laws, and he killed one of them, all right? Uh, literally, you thought it was bad for you. He just killed one right there, right? And so this is the situation this guy's in. This is the same King Herod um, that was the one that went into Bethlehem when he heard that a king was going to be, or a baby was going to be born, that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. And remember what happened? He, he made the order for the officers to go around and to kill all the children two years and younger to have him thrown into the river, to have him murdered. Because what he was really trying to do is he was trying to make sure that nobody took his authority, his power. Um, He was the king, and he got nervous whenever they started talking about this Jesus guy. Because Jesus all of a sudden is going to be born, and he's going to be a king of all kings, the king of kings. And so he's intimidated by that, and so he says, we've got to stop that right at the very start. We're just going to kill all the babies. And he didn't end up getting Jesus because Jesus was born in a different area, and it just happened to where he, they didn't get him. Okay, So here's the situation. This guy is a bad guy. Uh, Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome when King Herod was the king of Israel, said this about this guy. It's better to be one of King Herod's swine than one of his sons. That's how bad this guy was, okay? This guy was just messed up. Evil, evil, evil. Now, once he died, Rome came in and decided, let's split up this kingdom because King Herod the Great had way too much power. So we're going to split it up among two of his sons. Two of his sons. Here's the two sons. For you guys that can't see, Herod Archelaus, and he was going to take the southern part of the kingdom, which was uh, Judea and Sumeria. 
Okay, and he didn't last long. He, he kind of did a terrible job, and so they went in, they removed him. He, he didn't stay there long. But then there was this other Herod, Herod Antipas, okay, and he took the other portion, Galilee. Now, the Galilee is the, the city where Jesus spent most of his time. Uh, that's where Herod Antipas was. That was who he was given. Now, if you'll notice here, they all have the name Herod in them. It's kind of like George Foreman naming all his kids George Foreman, all right? It's kind of this scenario. You got Herod the Great and then his two sons, Herod, Herod, and they're just distinguished by Archelaus and Antipas, all right? So, so they give them kind of the first deal there, uh, making it make sense. But I had to draw this out because if I just told you all this and I said Herod a thousand times, you'd be confused, 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 all right? So you got Herod the Great. He has two sons. Kingdoms divided between the two. This guy's kind of out of the picture. He didn't last long. This guy um, inherited Galilee where Jesus spent most of his time. And then there's Herod Philip. Now, Herod Philip uh, was related to Herod the Great. So he was known for great wealth, but he was given no kingdom to rule. Okay, nothing to rule over. So he's just kind of nothing. This guy's got Galilee. Uh, somebody else takes over after Herod Archelaus. Uh, Archelaus. Okay, so that's kind of the setup to our story. This is what's taking place. Now, there's another character in the story, uh, which was a niece, like a niece and a nephew, a niece, and her name was Herodias. Everybody say Herodias. Herodias. Come on, we can do better than that. Herodias. All right, Herodias. So they're just sticking with the Herod theme here. Herodias. Herodias. Let me tell you about this. Herodias actually uh, fell in love with Herod Philip down here. All right, fell in love with Herod Philip, and they were married, and they had a daughter named Salome. We'll get to that a little bit later. Okay, get this picture in your mind. Well, things get kind of crazy because one day, Herod Antipas was uh, going to visit Herod Philip. So you got Herod Antipas, he's going to visit Herod Philip. And when he gets there, he sees Herodias, Herod Philip's wife, and he says, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've fallen in love with you. I've fallen in love with my brother's wife. And crazy enough, Herodias looks at Herod Antipas and says, you know what? I'm falling in love with you too. And so they run off together to go get married. And now she's gone from being kind of just somebody who's in the family to the queen of Israel. The queen of Israel. So Herodias, now this is just crazy. And then Basically, out of this comes this new character, the story that I really want to tell you today. I had to tell you all that to lead up to this. Herod Antipas and Herodias are together, now king and queen over Israel. And then this guy, John the Baptist, shows up. Y'all remember John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, the weird guy uh, who ate locusts and wild honey, and he dressed in camel's hair clothing, and he was just kind of an odd guy, but he was definitely sent by God. Um, does anybody know who, who John the Baptist's cousin was? What was it? What was it? Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus was the cousin to John the Baptist. And so this is important to the story. John the Baptist, he was a hero to the people. All right. The people, they love John the Baptist. And here's why. John the Baptist would say things that the people were too scared to say. <laughs> anybody know anybody like that? You got somebody in your family or something. They're kind of a straight shooter. Put them up. You know somebody? Okay. And they'll say stuff and you're going, I would never say that. Like, how do, what, aren't they scared of what that person's going to do? And so that's kind of John the Baptist for these people. They're like, John the Baptist just calls it like he sees it, man. And so there begins to be this problem because Herodias moved into the palace with the new King Herod, became his wife, and this was against the Jewish law. Okay? Now, none of the Herods were Jewish. But this was against the Jewish law. So let me make sense of this for a second. John the Baptist, he didn't miss this. He didn't miss this. This is against the Jewish law. And he decides, I'm going to call you out for this. Because this isn't right. Herodias, you have married your brother's husband. That's not right. This isn't the way that things are supposed to work. And so he's out loud in the public square just proclaiming this. This sin that Herodias has done. And this, can you imagine, is making Herodias mad. <laughs> All right? Now, I don't know if you've ever had anybody proclaim your sin publicly. But if they've shared your sin with somebody else and they've gone around doing that, that we'd call that gossip in our day and age, right? Uh, but, but, but the reality is we'd get pretty ticked off, right? We get mad when people do that about us. Well, basically what happens is Herodias, she develops not just a hate for John the Baptist. She wants John the Baptist dead. She's like, I'm done with this guy. So she goes to Herod Antipas and says, Herod, listen, man, we've got to get rid of this guy we got to get rid of this guy. King Herod's like, you're right. Uh, but we know from extra-biblical sources that he was afraid 
He was afraid of the people. Because the people looked at John the Baptist and said, John the Baptist is like a prophet. He's got it going on. He's doing everything right. He's a leader for us to look to. A leader for us to follow. John the Baptist did everything he was supposed to do the best way he knew how to do it. I think this is going to be a really powerful thing, what I'm about to share with you. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? you got this whole love triangle here thing going on, and uh, it, it's pretty exciting because you're like, what's going to happen next, right? Well, let me share with you what's going to happen next. Uh, if you'll go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, I want to read kind of the synopsis of the story. Of kind of, I kind of summed it up a little bit for you, but I want to read it as it comes from Scripture because it's a little bit confusing. Part of it's in Matthew, some of it's in Mark, but um, for here, Mark chapter 6, verse 17 going to jump in right in the middle of a verse here. Here's what it says. For Herod himself had given orders to have John, that's John the Baptist, arrested. And he had him bound and he put him in prison. And he did this because of his wife Herodias. That's, you know, his brother's wife who he stole. He did this because of Herodias, uh, uh, brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John, John the Baptist, had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's Wife. Now, again, which law was he referring to here? It was, it was the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. It wasn't the Greek law. It wasn't the Roman law. It, it was the Jewish law. So he's calling him out. So look what happens here. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. See, part of this was she wanted him dead probably because her conscience was saying something too. Because, I mean, we think it's really strange if you, like, divorce your husband and marry, you know, his brother. Like, that was weird even back then. That was a little strange. So she probably had a conscience going, this is bothering me, and I don't need this guy bringing this up in my face all the time and talking about my sin and da-da-da. So she wants this guy dead. So the story continues. But she was not able to have him executed because Herod, her husband, feared John the Baptist and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. So here's the situation, all right? John the Baptist is now in prison. This is the story I want to tell you. I want you to lean into this. This is huge. John the Baptist had just been sent to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. If you remember back in the story when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the Gospels of Jesus Christ. When you read those, those four, um, you, you'll find this, that, that John the Baptist has these people that are listening to his teaching. They're like, oh, we, we want to follow John the Baptist. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He was like the best pastor of the day, right? And so they're like following him. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes his entrance. And John the Baptist tells all of his followers, he says, hey, 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 stop following me. That's the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the whole world. That's the God that we need to be following. All the stuff I've been telling you about, this is the one. The Savior that was coming, that's the one. Like, we need to follow after him. So this guy, he's done everything right. He sent his own disciples. He's done everything as perfect as he knows how to do it. And yet he is in prison, rotting away in a prison cell, day after day after day. Now, John had some friends that would come and visit him in the prison cell. And they would give him information. And John knew that Jesus, he was out there healing Doing miracles, uh, healing lepers, healing people who were filled with demons, touching people that nobody else would touch. You know, people with leprosy and boils and, and this stuff that you just couldn't go around those people. He would go and do this. He would talk to women in public, which back in this time period, they just didn't do that. They didn't do that. So Jesus out there, he's doing all this stuff. He healed Roman servants. Jesus just did whatever he wanted to do, right? He didn't follow the laws of these people. Uh, you know, like, don't heal on the Sabbath. He's like, what are you talking about, man? I'm, this guy's blind. I'm going to make him see. You know, Jesus out there ministering. But John, check this out, the cousin of Jesus, who's done everything as right as you could possibly do it, is sitting in a prison cell. And John isn't feeling the love. He ain't feeling the love. And John began to have second thoughts about Jesus. John. So one day, his friends are there, and they're visiting him in the prison cell, and uh, John says, he says, guys, it's a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit embarrassing, and I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I, I need you to send a message to Jesus. So they're like, oh, yeah, 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 what, what, what's the message? So they're getting their, you know, their pen and their paper out, and they're getting ready to write down whatever John the Baptist, who's this awesome guy, is going to say to Jesus. 
And, and here's what John says to them. He says, I want you to say this. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, and he sent his disciples to ask him this. This is the question. Now, I'm sure that his followers kind of did a double take when they heard John ask this question. Okay, so here's what the question was. He said, are you the one? Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we be expecting someone else? (laughs) These guys are like, you really want us to ask him that? Like, I mean, you're the one, John the Baptist, that told us that he's the one. You re- that, are you sure you want us to ask him? That, are, are we expecting? Yeah. Yeah, I need you to ask him that. And it, but, but haven't you heard the stories out there about what Jesus is doing? Yeah, but I, I, just, I just need something. I just need assurance. I just need a word. I just need to know that he's the one. Now, here's why this is so important for us. Put this in your notes today. Maybe you write this down. Isn't it interesting that when our circumstances take a sudden change, and it could be a change for the better, it could be a change for the worse. Isn't it interesting that when our circumstances take a sudden change, how it impacts our confidence in God? Isn't that true? Man, that's so true. It's like somehow God becomes different because our circumstances are different. And we know that doesn't make any sense, but it's real. It's real. And, and maybe we're a lot like John the Baptist. It's like, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I need to confess. I need a little help here, God. I need a little help. I need a little word. I need a little shout out. I need to know that everything I grew up believing is true. Because right now, it just seems like it's not working for me. Because you know what? I don't know if you know this or not. There's a certain amount of pain, physical pain, that makes us unable to care about anybody else. There's there's a level of pain that you can get to where emotionally you just say, I I can't think on anybody else. I'm so hurt right now and wounded that this has got me consumed. There's an amount of physical pain that that, that makes you unable to care for anybody else or think about anybody else. It's the nature of pain. I put this in your notes. Pain shrinks us to the size of us. Pain shrinks shrinks us to the size of us. And so consequently, there's John the Baptist uh, with all that he's seen, with all that he's heard, with all that he knows. And suddenly, his world is no bigger than his prison cell. And he begins to doubt. And that's what makes Jesus' response so incredibly amazing and so incredibly relevant to you and I today. The response that Jesus gives. Let me tell you what Jesus doesn't say before I tell you what he says. Yeah, this is kind of funny. I was brainstorming here thinking about this. It's kind of hilarious to me. So they get to Jesus and they're like, excuse me, Jesus. I hate to stop you from doing that miracle right now. I hate to bother you. But, but your buddy, cousin John the Baptist, he, he has a question that he needs to ask of you. And I'm a little embarrassed in front of all these people to ask you this, but I, I just need to ask you. John the Baptist, he wants to know, are you the one? Or should we be expecting somebody else? You notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, of course I'm the one. Of course I'm the one. Go back and tell him I'm the one. You know, he didn't say that. Neither does he say, yeah, I'm the one. And we're breaking him out tonight. He didn't say that either. He didn't say that. Uh, We're going to sneak in there tonight and boom, bingo. We're going to write on the wall. Ha ha ha. I'm gone. You thought you had me. None of that happened. None of that happened. He didn't say any of that. So here's John the Baptist. Here's the message. He says, I want you to send this message back to John the Baptist. This is for you, and this is for me. This is the the part of the story where we can apply. And I thank God for the application. I thank God for the application. This is the part, if we feel that God is being inattentive, uncooperative, or late to our situation, this story was given to us for this reason, so that we could hear the words of Jesus, what he proclaimed. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Go back... And report to John what you hear and see. This is Jesus' response back, okay? He's getting this message, and John's rotting away in a prison cell. He says, I want you to go back, and I want you to report back what you hear and what you see. Here's why, guys. Because John can't see past the prison walls. He can't hear past the prison cells. 
It's got him locked in. He's a prisoner to what he can hear and what he can see. And, and Jesus says, you go back and you tell him what you hear and what you see. You bow back and you tell him about the miracles. Because John's pain has shrunk him to the size of him. And it shrunk him into this prison cell. He's no larger than his pain. So of course he's going to begin to doubt. Of course that's going to be his situation. You go tell him what you've heard and what you've seen. And then Jesus lists some things off that he wants them to report back. I love this. I love this. Check this out. He says, tell him this. The blind receive sight. The lame, they walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf, they can hear. The dead, check this out. They're raised back to life. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so you got these guys and they're writing down the message of Jesus and they're, they're trying to get it all and Jesus is teaching and they're like, oh yeah, that's good, that's good, Jesus. Uh, I will write that down. Oh yeah, and the, the blind, yes, I got it, I got it. So they're saying all this stuff and, and Jesus is about to send him away and Jesus is about to turn back and do whatever he was doing. And then he says, hold on, hold on, don't go yet. There's one more thing that I need you to tell him. And so they lean back in, they pull the pad back out and they get the paper ready and say, what is it, Jesus? He says, this is the most important thing. I don't want him to miss this part because this is huge. All those things are happening. And then he says this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble, does not fall away or fall down or fall out or lose sight of who I am as a result of me. And so you see these guys. So these guys are saying, so Jesus, you're saying that you might do some things? You might cause some things to happen around us. You might actually allow some things in our life, some circumstances to take place that might cause us to fall away from you. He says, yeah, yeah. So I want you to make sure you tell John this message that when those things happen, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of the things that I've done for them or the things that I haven't done for them. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away as a result of me. So this is kind of funny to me. These guys have to be just, I mean, they're just regular guys like you and me. They have to be sitting there listening to this whole thing going, Jesus, I have one question before I go and deliver this off. Are you mad at John the Baptist? Wouldn't you be thinking that if you're listening to this whole interview? Like, maybe, Jesus, whenever you were growing up and, you know, you were growing up as cousins together, did John do something to you that made you mad? And this is your way of getting revenge on him? You know, you're just going to let him rot away in a prison cell. Is this your way of dealing with that? This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. And and listen to what Jesus says to him uh, about John the Baptist in verse 11. He says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that'd be about everybody, right? (laughs) Among those born of women, here's what he says about John the Baptist. There's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow. He's not risen anyone greater than Baptist. Matter of fact, he's the greatest guy who's ever lived so far. That's what I think about John the Baptist. And you're going to leave him in prison? Yeah. And tell him, hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't stop. Giving, don't give up hope. Don't lose sight of, of your faith just because I've chosen not to bail you out. I want you to hang in there. I want you to keep your confidence in me. Now let me tell you why this is great news for you and why this is great news for me. It means this. Check this out. You might want to write this down. Um, That your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. And we can never lose sight of that. Because like John the Baptist, when we're in a dry season, when we're in a desert, when we're in a wilderness, when God hasn't done anything for us lately and things seem to be getting worse, we begin to draw those conclusions. Well, my circumstances reflect the way that God feels about me. And that's not necessarily the way that God says. See, God would say, no, they don't. Maybe he'd say, no, they don't. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. Don't ever draw that conclusion. Let me tell you this. I put this in your notes. This is tweetable right here. Ready? Proof of how God feels about you is what he did on the cross. Proof of how God feels about you is what he did on that cross. It's not about what's going on at home or what's happening at your workplace or what's what's happening in your marriage or what's not happening in your love life or what's happening in your love life or, or with your kids. 
So what do you do when God's inattentive? When God seems unavailable? When God seems to be late? I think if we were to ask Jesus what to do, he'd give us a very similar response to to what he gave John the Baptist, to what he gave these messengers. Here's my updated version of his advice. You ready? The answer is this. To look back and remember, you look outside of your circumstances and you reflect. You reflect. Check this out. The answer is to look back and remember, look outside of your prison walls and reflect on the activity of God. Check this out, guys. God is active. He's active. He's never stopped. Because what's happening now doesn't discount the reality of past answered prayer. Doesn't discount the past answered prayer. See, the difficult patch you had in your marriage and God began to heal that and get you past that, you can't discount that prayer that was answered. When you prayed for a child and God delivered on that that promise and he gave you that child, you can't discount that activity of God. When God revealed himself to you for the very first time and you felt the presence of God calling you into a relationship with him, you can't discredit that. You can't discount those answered prayers because that was real. That was a big deal. God was real. What we have to do as believers is look outside our current prison and we remember, remember, remember. And you take courage for the fact that God was real then. And guess what, guys? God is real now. God is real now. Just because he's not expressing it the way that we wish he was right now doesn't mean that he's not God and that he doesn't love us. Let me just be honest with you. This story that I'm telling you today doesn't end real well for John. You know how this ends, right? Herod has a birthday, okay? And Herodias, his, his, his evil wife, I mean, you can't even call him good, his evil wife here um, sends another daughter of hers from another marriage in to dance for the king and all of his friends. And they're getting drunk, and they're kind of just, you know, in that state. And her name was Salome. I told you, her name was Salome. And he says, look, the dance that you just performed for me, Salome, was so amazing. I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. Anything that you desire, what do you want? I'll give it to you. I mean, she's a teenage girl. What's she going to ask for, right? Maybe a new phone, maybe front row tickets to the uh, you know, Taylor Swift concert, you know, something like that. But in this request where she can have whatever she wants, she, she does something that no teenage girl ever does. She says, hold on just a second. Let me go ask my mom. <laughs> Let me go ask my mom. So she runs away and goes and says, mom, what do I ask for? And Herodias sees an opportunity. And she goes, I want you to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. I want him beheaded tonight. Tonight. Because of his pride, of being around his friends, and the the promise that he made in front of his friends, King Herod said, okay, go behead John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. It wasn't long after that that some very insecure religious leaders paid to have Jesus betrayed. And then he was lied about and he was spit upon and he was mocked and and he was crucified. And check this out, guys. Check this out. Lean in, lean in, lean in. God did nothing to stop either of those. God did nothing to stop either of those situations. But God didn't move one centimeter off of his throne. God didn't move one centimeter off of his throne. Because even though it seemed that he would be inactive or uninvolved or even late to these situations, God was doing exactly what he wanted to do. His plan was unfolding the exact way he wanted his plan to unfold. And although John the Baptist would have never written this script for his life and said, this is the life that I want to live, God was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing the whole time. Check this out. If it, you remember Jesus, whenever he was sweating in the garden and he, he was praying to God and he said, he said, God, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way that I can pay for the sins of mankind other than being crucified, let this cup pass for me. And you remember what God did? He said, no, this is the way. This is what I want to happen. And guys, the reason that's so important is because had he not gone to the cross, you and I would have no way to have our sin forgiven you and I would have no way to have a relationship with God in heaven. We'd have no way. God's doing stuff that maybe doesn't make sense to us, but it definitely makes sense to him. He's not moved one centimeter off of his throne. Check this out. When God is silent, he's not absent. Guys, we're still talking about these stories 2,000 years later. We celebrate life change that takes place. We celebrate when people come to the realization of who God is. 
God allows things to happen, though. Now, now I need you to lean back in, start paying attention again. All right, quit doing the email or Facebook or whatever. Lean back in because this is the huge, huge, huge thing. Okay, I think that you may think I'm a little weird. Okay, when I tell you this, you may think this is crazy. But I think this interaction that was going on between Jesus and the messengers and John, I think there was a secret message in here. A secret message that I think that that Jesus, that God would want us to know, that would pass from the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 20th century, 21st century, all the way to right here, right now. I think there was a message that was underlying in this whole thing that God certainly wants us to know. It's a secret message. I want to uncode it. Ready? It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Here's what it is. The secret message is this. I want you to say it with me. Blessed is anyone. Blessed is, say it with me, anyone. Blessed is anyone. You know who you are? Anyone. In other words, in this first century context, he, way, he reaches way beyond John the Baptist, way beyond just the messengers. He reaches straight to you and I. And he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble, fall away, lose sight, give up hope, lose faith as a result of something that I have or haven't done for you. See, I believe that God says, I see your problem. I see your circumstance. I see your frustration. I see your hopelessness. I see that you're on the verge of giving up. You're on the verge of walking away. But he's sitting there and he's looking at you and I. And if he was here right today, he would say, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose sight of what I've done for you. Don't forget the things that I've pulled you through. Don't forget the love that I had for you on that cross. And just because you're in this circumstance right now doesn't mean that I've forgotten and it doesn't mean that I'm absent. I'm right where I need to be. Don't lose hope. Don't stumble on account of me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, maybe today you would identify, you know, I've stumbled away. I've fallen out. In this area of my life, I know I need to get get back healthy again. Spiritually, just not where I need to be. I'm spiritually unhealthy. I've fallen away. I've lost confidence in God. I've lost hope. But Randy, I know that's not right. And I know that God wants me to have faith. But I struggle with that. I want to pray for you right now. Very, very simply. I just want to to love on you a little bit. I want to pray for you. But God, guys, I want you to know, I pray this prayer for me. I pray this prayer for me because you're not the only one who stumbles. We pray for all of us in this room right now. God, I pray. God, for this body of believers, God, who, who circumstances in our lives, Lord, we're just regular human beings. We stumble sometimes. We lose sight. We lose hope. God, there may be people in the room today who are on the verge of giving up. But God, we don't want to give up. We want to have hope. We want to have peace in knowing that things are going to be okay. That God, you can and that you you can at any moment just say the word and our circumstance could be taken care of. But God, you may choose not to do that. God, I pray that we won't stumble away on account of the things that you do or don't do for us. That God, we would continue to be faithful. And that we would trust that there's a promise that leads to life for our faithfulness and our obedience to you. We would remember the times and the seasons and the chapters of our life, God, where we prayed and you showed up for us, not just in one way, but God, you blew it out of the water and you blew our minds the way that you showed up for us. God, let us not forget those things. Let us remember those things. During the tough seasons, when we're in prison, we can't see beyond our own prison walls. I pray that we'll look around at the activity of God around us. And we'll know that you are here, that God, you are on your throne, that you are faithful, that you are true, that God, you are in charge of all things. Nothing is out of your sight. I pray that we cling to those promises today. As we remain in an attitude of prayer today, you may be here and you may say, you know what? I know that today God's been working in my life. I need to start a relationship with God. This would be for people who would say, you know what? I believe that Jesus did die on a cross. And I believe that he went to that cross to pay for the sin of the whole world, my sin included. And you know what? I do believe what the Bible says, that he rose again three days later, proving that he was God. And giving me a confidence that I can trust that God. 
and that I can live a victorious life in him. See, if you believe that he came to the earth to die on that cross, pay for your sin, he rose again, the Bible said that you can have life everlasting, eternal life, a relationship with God that changes everything. If today you'd like to start that relationship, I'd like you to pray this prayer right where you're sitting today. Right where you're sitting, pray this prayer, mean it with all of your heart. Just say these words. Say, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for doing life my way. Show me your way. Fill me with your spirit and guide me by your word. Make me who you created me to be. Amen. Can we celebrate people who make that decision today? Celebrate that.